Welcome to Episode 9 of PCS Reads, the summer reading podcast for Parkview Center School and any other summer readers who want to join us. I'm your host, Laura, Parkview School Librarian. We have only a few Fridays left this summer, and for each one that's left, there will be a new episode of this podcast. To start off each episode, we have a new reading challenge. This week's reading challenge is reread a book you liked when you were younger. To meet this challenge, you could reread a book you liked from long ago or one that you liked last week. If you have an idea for a weekly reading challenge, visit the podcast website at pcsreads.podbean.com and click on the link that says Sign the Guest Book. From there, you can submit your challenge idea. This week on the podcast, we will hear the beginning of Chapter 6 of The Girl Who Drank the Moon by author Kelly Barnhill, a book that comes out in stores next Tuesday, August 9th. Next Wednesday, August 10th, there will be a special party for The Girl Who Drank the Moon at Red Balloon Bookshop on Grand Avenue in St. Paul at 6.30 p.m., Author Kelly Barnhill will be there to read from the book in person, answer questions, and sign books. For more information about this book party, visit Red Balloon's website at www.redballoonbookshop.com. In Chapter 6... We will hear about a new character, Athene. When she was writing the book, author Kelly Barnhill kept trying to get rid of this character, but she turned out to be quite bossy and demanded to stay in the story. Here is Kelly Barnhill to tell us about Athene. Um, the character of Athene uh, was not originally in the story. She showed up along the way. And I kept on thinking, I can't have another character. I can't have her in it. And um, she just is going to have to go. And so I would decide that, and I would be all ready to like erase everything about her and like give Antane a totally different motivation. And I couldn't do it. Like Every time I, I, I would... I would think, okay, I'm, I'm going to erase all of her parts today. And then I would sit down, I'd be about to erase everything about her, and then I thought, um, I'm actually not going to do that right now. I'm going to work on this, this scene with Glurk and Furion, or I'm going to work on this scene with Luna and the Crow. And, um, and I kept on not erasing her. And, and I started having dreams about her. And she would only ever say one word in my dreams, and it was, nope. And I, I just thought, I, can't, I have too many characters in this book. I have to get rid of one. It has to be her. And, and so I, w- I kept on being about to do it, and then I didn't. And then um, and eventually I got to the scene where basically, like, 
Anyway, she makes a lot of stuff happen. And, um, uh, and so she clearly had plans for herself that were, was totally irrespective of anything that I was intending to do. And I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that some characters are bossy. Some characters are really bossy. And she was bossy. And now, here's our next installment of The Girl Who Drank the Moon. Chapter 6, in which Anten gets himself in trouble. During Anton's first five years as an elder in training, he did his best to convince himself that his job would one day get easier. He was wrong. It didn't. The elders barked orders at him during council meetings and community functions and after-hours discussions. They berated him when they ran into him on the street, or when they sat in his mother's dining room for yet another sumptuous, though uncomfortable, supper. They admonished him when he followed in their wake during surprise inspections. Anton hung in the background, his eyebrows knit together into a perplexed knot. It seemed that no matter what Anton did, the elders erupted into purple-faced rage and sputtering incoherence. "'Anton!' the elders barked. "'Stand up straight! "'Anton, what have you done with the proclamations? "'Anton, wipe that ridiculous look off your face! "'Anton, how could you have forgotten the snacks? "'Anton, what on earth have you spilled all over your robes?' "'Anton, it seemed, could not do anything right.' His home life wasn't any better. "'How can you possibly still be an elder in training?' his mother fumed night after night at supper. Sometimes she'd let her spoon come crashing down to the table, making the servants jump. "'My brother promised me that you would be an elder by now. He promised!' And she would seethe and grumble until Anton's younger brother, Wynne, began to cry. Anton was the oldest of six brothers— a small family by protectorate standards, and ever since his father died, his mother wanted nothing else but to make sure that each of her sons achieved the very best that the protectorate had to offer. Because didn't she, after all, deserve the very best when it came to sons? "'Uncle tells me that things take time, mother,' Anton said quietly. He pulled his toddler brother onto his lap and began rocking until the child calmed. He pulled a wooden toy that he had carved himself from his pocket, a little crow with spiral eyes and a clever rattle inside its belly. The boy was delighted and instantly shoved it into his mouth. "'Your uncle can boil his head!' she fumed. "'We deserve that honor. I mean, you deserve it, my dear son.' Anton wasn't so sure. He excused himself from the table, mumbling something about having work to do for the council— but really he only planned on sneaking into the kitchen to help the kitchen staff, and then into the gardens to help the gardeners in the last of the daylight hours, and then he went into the shed to carve wood. Anton loved woodworking, the stability of the material, the delicate beauty of the grain, the comforting smell of sawdust and oil. There were few things in his life that he loved more, he carved and worked deep into the night, trying his best not to think about his life. The next day of sacrifice was approaching, after all. 
and Anton would need yet another excuse to make himself scarce. The next morning Anton donned his freshly laundered robe and headed into the council hall well before dawn. Every day at dawn his first task was to read through the citizen complaints and requests that had been scrawled with bits of chalk on the large slate wall, and deem which ones were worth attention, and which should simply be washed down and erased. "'But what if they all are important, uncle?' Anton had asked the Grand Elder once. "'They can't possibly be. In any case, by denying access we give our people a gift. They learn to accept their lot in life. They learn that any action is inconsequential.' Their days remain as they should be, cloudy. There is no greater gift than that. Now, where is my Zirin tea? Next, Anton was to air out the room, then post the day's agendas, then fluff the cushions for the elders' bony bottoms, then spray the entrance room with some kind of perfume concocted in the laboratories of the Sisters of the Star, designed, apparently, to make people feel wobbly-kneed and tongue-tied, and frightened, and grateful, all at once. And then he was to stand in the room as the servants arrived, giving each one an imperious expression as they entered the building, before hanging up his robes in the closet and going to school. "'But what if I don't know how to make an imperious expression, uncle?' the boy asked again and again. "'Practice, nephew. Continue to practice.' Anton walked slowly toward the schoolhouse, enjoying the temporary glimmers of sun overhead. It would be cloudy in an hour. It was always cloudy in the protectorate. Fog clung to the city walls and cobbled streets like tenacious moss. Not many people were out and about that early in the morning. Pity, thought Anton. They are missing the sunlight. He lifted his face and felt that momentary rush of hope and promise. He let his eyes drift toward the tower, its black, devilishly complicated stonework mimicking the whirls of galaxies and the trajectories of stars, its small, round windows winking outward like eyes. That mother, the one who went mad, was still in there, locked up, the mad woman. For five years now she had convalesced in confinement, but she still had not healed. In Anton's mind's eye he could see that wild face, those black eyes, that birthmark on her forehead, livid and red, the way she kicked and climbed and shrieked and fought. He couldn't forget it, and he couldn't forgive himself. Anton shut his eyes tight and tried to force the image away. Why must this go on? His heart continued to ache. There must be another way. As usual, he was the first one to arrive at school. Even the teacher wasn't there. He sat on the stoop and took out his journal. He was done with his schoolwork, not that it mattered. His teacher insisted on calling him Elder Anton in a breathy, fawning voice, even though he wasn't an elder yet, and gave him top marks no matter what kind of work he did. He could likely turn in blank pages and still get top marks. Anton still worked hard in spite of that. His teacher, he knew, was just hoping for special treatment later. In his journal, he had several sketches of a project of his own design, a clever cabinet to house and neatly organize garden tools, situated on wheels so that it could be pulled easily by a small goat, 
a gift to the head gardener, who was always kind. A shadow fell across his work. Nephew, the Grand Elder said. Anton's head went up like a shot. Uncle, he said, scrambling to his feet, accidentally dropping his papers, scattering them across the ground. He hurriedly gathered them back up into his arms. Grand Elder Gerland rolled his eyes. Come, nephew, the Grand Elder said with a swish of his robes, motioning for the boy to follow him. You and I must talk. But what about school? There is no need to be in school in the first place. The purpose of this structure is to house and amuse those who have no futures until they are old enough to work for the benefit of the protectorate. People of your stature have tutors, and why you have refused such a basic thing is beyond comprehension. Your mother prattles on about it endlessly. In any case, you will not be missed. This was true. He would not be missed. Every day in class, Anton sat in the back and worked quietly. He rarely asked questions. He rarely spoke, especially now since the one person whom he wouldn't have minded speaking to, and even better if she spoke back to him in return, had left school entirely. She had joined the novitiate at the Sisters of the Star. Her name was Athene, and though Anton had never exchanged three words in succession with her, still he missed her desperately, and now only went to school day after day on the wild hope that she would change her mind and come back. It had been a year. No one ever left the Sisters of the Star. It wasn't done. Yet Anton continued to wait and hope. He followed his uncle at a run. Tune in next week when we will hear the end of Chapter 6 of The Girl Who Drank the Moon by Kelly Barnhill. A special thank you to Algonquin Young Readers, a division of Workman Publishing, for permission to share this sneak peek through our podcast. Each week on PCS Reads, we will end the show with a few book recommendations for summer reading. I still need a few more recommendations for the last episodes. All you need to do is decide on a book you would like to recommend and why you would recommend it. Then call the PCS Reads Book Recommendation Hotline at 612-568-5355 and leave a message. The message you leave will be saved and sent to the podcast. Finally, Listen for your book recommendation on a future episode. Here are this week's book recommendations. This is Sina. I would like to recommend The Princess in Black. I like The Princess in Black because she is a princess and she fights monsters.
Hi, this is Bruce Hale. You may know me as the author of the Clark the Shark books and the Chet Gecko Mysteries, and I have a couple of book recommendations for you for summer reading. Uh, the first is a uh, novel. It's called Shadow Magic. Fascinating book. Really fun fantasy. It's got humor. It's imaginative. It's got lots of clever twists, and it's got giant bats. How can you beat that? And the other one I would recommend is a picture book called Mother Bruce, which is just the most hilarious thing I've read lately. So those are my two book recommendations. I hope you guys enjoy them and have a terrific summer. Aloha. Hello, this is Ms. Zabotnik from Brim Hall Elementary School just down the road from Parkview. I'm the media specialist there and I know your librarian, Laura, because she used to be the librarian at my school when I was a teacher there. We're also friends and we love to read great books together. And I want to tell you about a fantastic book about a boy who's around 10 years old. His name is Measle and he is a little different than most kids. He lives with a guardian who is not very nice. He is perhaps one of the most horrible, horrible guardians you could ever imagine. I won't call him a parent because he didn't act like a parent. He was awful. There always seemed to be a dark cloud over their house. Because what Measle didn't know was that Basil Tramplebone, his guardian, was a Rathmonk. You might be wondering, what exactly is a Rathmonk? They have some powers, but basically, all you need to know for this is that he's horrible. Now, the very cool thing about Basil Tramplebone's house was that if you went way up into the attic, he had a train set. And it wasn't a little train set, it was a huge train set. Now, I told you that Basil was horrible, and he was really horrible. He would not let Measle touch the train set. Now, if you lived with someone that had an amazing electric train set in their attic, what would you want to do? Play with it, right? I for sure would want to go and see what was going on and run the train on the tracks. And one day, Basil is gone, and Measle gets the idea that he will play with the train set. So he goes up to the attic, and he starts playing with the train set. He's so engrossed with what's going on that he does not notice that Basil Tramplebone has come home. And when Basil gets into the attic, he is furious, so furious that he zaps Measle and shrinks him down to inches tall. He now is inside of the train set, and when he looks around, he realizes he's not the only one. What will happen to Measle? Measle? Will he get out? Find out by reading Measle and the Rathmonk by Ian Ogilvy. That's all for this episode of PCS Reads. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will join us again next week. Until then, happy summer, happy reading.